Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and still in recovery. Like me, I don't know if anybody noticed. I promise I wasn't drinking over the weekend. I thought there was a seat there. I was letting my grandchild get out, and I sat down where there was no chair. (laughs) Meaning that I went all the way down. I'm like people coming, visiting, going, what kind of a church is this? Okay, turn in your Bibles this morning. You know, not happening. Okay. Too much drink. You missed it. Well, I just confessed it publicly. I believe in full disclosure. You've done it. You saw it. Thank you very much for sharing. We'll talk later. One other thing about not only the, uh, the, the, the tree lighting, which will be on a tree that's been replanted out there, by the way. The school rallied together. Um, we are um, trying to encourage uh, a new spirit here working together as a team, and so that's part of the reason we're doing that. Another thing that I mentioned last week, and I don't want to harp on it, and the reason I I even bring it up again is I mentioned last week the need for good, drivable, safe vehicles for our kids to be transferred around in. That's a no-brainer, really. And um, I forgot to say a couple things, and one is, on Sundays especially, I try very hard not to nag you for extra money. Everybody know from five years, anybody who's been with me for five years here knows I don't like hyper-fundraising, nagging, that kind of a thing. I think it communicates the wrong thing. I think uh, people who are visitors who already have it in their mind, the reason I hate Christians and churches, they're always asking for my money. So I don't want to do that. All right, But When something is uh, significant, important, I wanted to say, make this as special over and above as possible. I don't know where we're at. Jim, are you here? How are we making out? We'll see. We'll see today. Oh, well, let me encourage us again. Those of us with means uh, help meet that need. It would be great to buy a new van for the school and the church youth activities that go on here when we transfer uh, transport kids. Okay? So... Enough of that. We're going to move on. We have been in a series in the book of Titus. For those of you who are visiting, welcome back, Dr. Ashley. How has your preaching circuit gone? Hundreds of thousands. Of, no. Good stuff. You're coming in the ones and twos. The ones and twos. We'll take it, right? We'll take it. Uh, Jesus dealt with the ones and twos. Very well said. My title today is Liberation has nothing to do with the social upheavals of the 70s and 80s. It has everything to do with what uh, God has done on our behalf. But I want to talk about it just a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, there is a Bible in the seat somewhere near you. If you would like to follow along, make sure I'm not making anything up. Titus chapter 3 is on page 1194 in this version here, if you want to follow along with Titus. The third chapter. We have been going through this book, uh, a little bit of um, preparation we had for a reinstitution of an elder board, a leadership establishment at our church after five, well, seven years actually, uh, on my watch, of having come through some days of crisis and moving into a healthier place now. Uh, We use this to launch the subject, and that was the book of Titus. 
And uh, in the first chapter, there were some interesting statements that I'm going to reference back to in just a minute. But starting in Titus, the third chapter, I won't make you stand again today, but chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, key word here, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Sounds like reality TV. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Another key phrase. Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So I want you to speak confidently about them. Let's pray. We can't agree enough, Lord, that the liberty that we have to worship you is something we should not take for granted. Thank you that uh, saints have gathered out of the world this week. Some of us are probably still pretty worn out, extensive times with families and traveling and all kinds of activity. And yet, uh, for disciples, we come gladly. Uh, We make it a priority to gather out of the world, to mark ourselves as these odd people who worship an unseen God. And here we are, gathered. We ask, Father, for the help of your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds to instruct us, to activate your giftings. I pray that especially for me. For who is adequate for these things? No one. It's because of your grace that all of it happens, that the church exists, that people are rescued, that their lives are changed, that we have any forward motion in this world, that harmony has come as far as we have, is all because of your grace. So give us a little more. We ask this boldly and confidently. Grant us grace because you said, come before the throne of grace and be transparent. Be frank with me about your weakness and your need because we can find grace in our time of need and we are in a time of need. Help us, we pray. Illumine our minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said... Amen. Well, I've called today liberation. And I was thinking about, we were in the subject of truth wars, and uh, we hijacked the Star Wars motif and cheated a little bit, and everybody thought that was cute. So today, nothing cute. Okay? Just straight meat and potatoes. That's the way it is. I was thinking about it. Uh, Liberty. Freedom. I read somewhere along the line, uh, I think it might have been Eldred. Anybody ever read anything by John Eldred? A lot of that stuff about manhood and all of that. I think it was in one of his texts that he said, as we're approaching Christmas now, right? We just transitioned Thanksgiving. Everybody, did you survive Black Friday? 
I never go out on Black Friday, but I had to. But anyway, I, ha- I had to. No, no, I don't mean I had to shop. I had. Anyhow, hope you survive that. Now our focus starts looking at what? And Eldred once said, do you realize that Christmas was an act of war? I have a picture here that reminds us. We just came through Veterans Day, right? Anybody know where that is? I mean, Life Magazine. No cheating here. It says right there, Life Magazine. Where is that? Omaha Beach, right? It was D-Day, the landing of the invasion. People were in oppression. They were being uh, oppressed and captive and killed and murdered, destroyed. And uh, the Allies rallied to go provide liberation. In fact, one of the most vivid, rough to look at, and I picked a nice one, is the liberation from Auschwitz. Next picture. They were so thrilled, the prisoners were so thrilled to see the Allies coming to let them out of these horrible concentration camps. And I said, that's a nice picture. If you've ever looked at any of the pictures of Auschwitz, it's absolutely appalling. It's a nightmare. It's a living hell on earth is what it was. And so uh, that concept of being bound and abused and misused and somebody liberating you. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's us. We're those guys right there. Yay, Jesus is coming. Wow, you're really excited about this. Maybe part of the problem is that we don't really think of ourselves as captives, emaciated, starving to death. Slaves to build somebody else's kingdom. But that's who we were, if you believe the scripture, right? We just read it in this passage that we were once enslaved. And Jesus said, the one who serves sin is a slave of sin. He's the servant of sin. And so we needed to be set free. And so I want to just speak for a little bit. And I'm just preaching the gospel today. I hope that's okay with you. Because churches ought to preach the gospel. They don't always do that then maybe they're not churches. That's another discussion. I want to talk about the liberation in the spiritual realm, the liberation that we have received, three levels of liberation. First two are going to be straightforward. Unless you've never really trusted Jesus the way we're talking about, you don't have anything in your spirit that gets wired up like some of these religious fanatics in the room this morning after we sang Jesus Messiah. We're like, woo-hoo-hoo. Can you imagine that in church? Yeah, I can. I think we're supposed to be the most joyful people around. Doesn't always look that way, does it? Liberation. Liberation first from deserved judgment. We're in the concentration camp of the enemy, so to speak, but God tells us that he's saved us, and I'm going to be very quick on this one because you've seen it before and you can read it again. First verse is right out of the text that we just read. He saved us. He saved us. Anybody listen last week? Was anybody here last week? Okay. More than two of you, you were here last week? Uh, my brother Corey's sitting back there. He, he preached. He said this over and over again. You were dead. Dead people don't get themselves up. Right? You were dead, but he made you alive. 
That's the same thing being spoken about here. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hold it right there for just a second. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done. You can't earn it. There isn't enough that you can do. How much can you do? You know, If I would just... Um, Tithe enough. Yeah, I, I became a Christian because I gave this much. In fact, I double tithed. I hope a few of you have that infection. Um, but that's not going to earn it for you. I have five years worth of Sunday school pins. I've never missed one day of Sunday school in five years. Surely I'm in. No, that's not going to do it. When I got my, um, I'm not making, I'm making this up, I never was a Boy Scout, but when I got my, what, what do you get, the Eagle Scout, I had helped 52 old ladies across the street in busy Middletown. No, you know where it was? It was right at the mall there by Panera Bread where they hit people. And uh, I helped 52 people. Surely I'm in. Surely that has earned me a seat at the table. Are you all getting what I'm saying? It, that's not how it works. Because whatever good you have, I hate to fill you in on this, your debt is far greater. But it's like, oh, I'm not that bad a person. Wait till you get saved, then you'll find out how bad you are. That's, isn't that wonderful about becoming a Christian? You're full of joy and you find out how rotten you are. People are listening, they're going, why am I here? Let's get out of this place, you know. No, it's where you want to be. The glory of God is man or woman fully alive, really getting it, really getting who we are and who he is. That's what makes all the difference. So the next part says that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by what? Grace. You were made alive not because you earned it. You were made alive because of the grace of God, the goodness of God. You can never give enough. I love that spiritual movie. It's a fantastic spiritual movie, The Magnificent Seven. You remember The Magnificent Seven? No, if you haven't, you got to. It's old now. It's Yul Brenner. You know, all the greats were in it. This, this is a sidebar. This is where my ADD gets me in trouble. Yul Brenner, Eli Wallach's the bad guy, um, James Coburn, Robert Vaughn, all the big names started with that. It was a great film. And uh, who's the big motorcycle guy? Who was that guy? Steve McQueen. They're getting, they're getting uh, a job to protect a small village. I love this line. The peasants come and they open what they have to pay for these gunslingers to come to their town. And the man says... Everything of value in our village. And Yul Brenner says, I've been paid a lot for my work, but never everything. Wow. I've been paid a lot for my work, but never everything. You can't pay enough to earn salvation, but God paid everything to rescue us. 
You'll know another verse that sounds just like this. This one you should have memorized. By grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of everything of value in your village. That no one should boast. Amen? Everybody understand? It's a gift that God wants to give us. He loves us. He provided by paying everything on our behalf. The first liberation is we are delivered from deserved judgment. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be locked in and staying in that place. But he liberates us. He gets us out of that. We don't have to pay the penalty of our sins that we rightfully should because Jesus did it for us. Well, that's the first liberation. The second liberation is liberation from the power of sin and Satan. Right. These are real things. Now, I I spent some time a while back talking a little bit about occultism and demonic stuff in this series. Everybody remember we had a little bit of fun with that or I freaked you out or you questioned whether I needed therapy. I'm not sure what how you felt about it. But the fact is, these things are real. One, sin is real. If you're really honest with yourself, you know, that's true. The enemy is also real. And. The believer has been given liberation, power to push back against the authority of sin and the authority of the enemy against us. We actually have authority. Uh, I never got to this when we were in that little section relating to that, but um, I'm going to I'm going to read from a book that was written after the 1900s revivals in um, where are they? The Welsh Revival. Thank you. You had to help me there, Derek. All I had to do was see your face, and I immediately the light came on. The Welsh Revival. Jesse Penn Lewis wrote a little book about dealing with the Holy Spirit as well as false spirits. And uh, they just put a bunch of information in the back. And I think this quote is from Tertullian, one of the church fathers. I might have to pick on uh, Dr. Ashley. Yeah, Tertullian, third or fourth century. I forgot to check. I think it was the third. But anyway, yeah, wh- yeah why don't you? No, don't worry. It's not that important. <laughs> Tertullian and his apology addressed the rulers of the Romans. How would you like Tertullian to be your pastor? Think about this. Let a person be brought before your tribunals who is plainly under demoniacal, uh, no, let me say it right, demoniacal possession. The wicked spirit bidden to speak by a follower of Christ will as readily make the truthful confession that he is a demon as elsewhere he has falsely asserted that he is a god. In other words, mediums, spiritists, false prophets, they have a demonic power that are faking like they are divine. So he says, bring one of those people in front of a what? A professing follower of Christ. That's what he said, right? Bidden to speak by a follower of Christ, he will immediately come clean. If they don't confess in their fear of lying to a Christian that they are demons, then there and then shed the blood of that most impudent follower of Christ. (gasps) Wouldn't you love to have him as your pastor? Tim, go confront that demon-possessed spirit there. And if that thing doesn't come clean and say, we're phonies, we're liars, put Tim to death because he's, he's not walking in the spirit of it. Oh, boy. Aren't you glad Tertullian wasn't your pastor? <laughs> so am I. Anyway, I've seen some of it. 
but I wouldn't want to have that test applied to me, would you? There was really stuff going on. And the fact is, in the early church, it was obvious that the enemy would retreat at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of sin would be pushed backwards as well. We were reading in the book of uh, Titus, For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. How do I get victory over that? Sir, you're not going to derail me, are you? That's a great question. I might answer that right now. Or I may not. No, I'm going to. A lot of people ask that question. Can the devil read our thoughts? We don't know. We do know that the devil can implant thoughts. That's clear. The fiery darts of the enemy, all of that. We know that it goes one way. We don't know if it goes the other way. However, you don't have to um, park on that because then what, what happens is we're fear-basing our thinking about, oh, the devil's, you know. How come you're not afraid that God reads all of your thoughts and whatever's going on between your ears you ought to be watching out for, right? And so if I'm a believer and I feel like I'm being oppressed by the enemy, sometimes I have to speak out loud and rebuke him, but I don't always have to because in my heart I'm asking God to strengthen me against his attack, all right? So, yeah, great. It's a great question. It really is. By the way, I just I, let me just be clear. There, there are helpful books on this subject. If you're, str- you know, Christians, I think get down. We we get to a point sometimes. This is this is a sidebar because of Teddy's question. So if I go over time, blame him. Um, we tend to lay down and play dead when it comes to sin and the oppression of the enemy. I just can't stop this terrible habit in my life. I just can't. I'm just, I'm just a victim. That's not biblical. And so there are ways to build up your spirit. I used to instruct a lot. I haven't done much here yet. If we keep praying for a visitation of the spirit, we're going to have to learn how to build up our spiritual muscles. And building up our spiritual muscles means when the enemy comes against me, I learn how to say, I'm not taking that. You need to stop right now. Be quiet in the name of Jesus. You know how, and this is a little extra on that. You know how I know when the enemy's working on me? When something, we all have dark sides. Everybody here want to agree we have a dark side? We all know we have negative gravitational pulls towards certain things we shouldn't do. Like hating on somebody or being bitter or resentful or I've got a problem with addiction of some sort or go down the line. We all have something. When the enemy comes to me and he tempts me towards something that is totally off my radar, it's like, hits me like, oh, I got to have that. Wait a minute, where did that come from? That's almost a dead giveaway. He's overplaying his hand. There's a verse, I'm not prepared to pull up the exact reference. The thing about Christians who mature is that they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And that's where we all want to be. Train my senses to discern, this is the enemy, this is my flesh, this is just stupid. Whatever it is, being able to navigate my way. Does that make sense? 
It's what God's calling us to, that kind of maturity. Great question. You got 12 points today. So your count's up to like negative six now. We're... Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm not even. He wants kudos in heaven. I have, you know, to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give. Okay. How to get victory over this. Here's an interesting verse in Titus talking about this very thing of victory over sin and Satan. Shun foolish controversies, genealogies, and strife, and disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. Why does he say that? Because Christian, you know, we are incurable legalists, are we not? Oh, I got to make a bunch of rules. So we get something out of the Old Testament. In their case, it was mythologies and stuff from Jewish heritage, and they were making extra rules. Here's how you get spiritual vitality in your life by doing this, 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 this. And they're saying, that's not going to work. In fact, the word for unprofitable means it's not only unhelpful, it's completely ineffective. It may, in fact, be harmful. That's what the Greek word means. You're going, you're actually hurting yourself trying to do it this way. Interesting that that would be an issue, right? Well, that's why I'm talking about liberation today. Liberation from deserved judgment. Liberation from the power of sin and Satan, which is the birthright of the believer. There are principles clearly in the scripture. Laws that we live by. Not out of a legalism, but these are the principles that God says, this is right and wrong. There are moral absolutes, for example. Paul, speaking about this to another group of churches that had gotten themselves in trouble over in Galatia, writes the following things. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer the question, class. Yeah, how did you get saved? I tithed double. Oh, no, I missed it. If I would tithe triple, then I would get saved. Do you get the point? We keep adding, oh, maybe, maybe if, maybe, no. How did you get saved? How did you get the spirit? By the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Which way? You already said it, class. You got the answer right. Nobody failed. Are you so foolish? Here it is. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, now you have to keep all these rules. And I've heard people, they think this way. And I, I remember as a new Christian, I had to work through this. I got born again. He gave me a free gift of eternal life. I understand I can't buy it. But now I got to start earning it. No. Now I need to start living it. Yes, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But no, you, do, you still don't earn it. We walk by faith and not by sight. So he goes on. Are you now perfected by fleshly rules? Don't eat this, eat that, do this, honor this day, don't honor that day, this, that, the other thing. He then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you. That must have been fun church service, don't you think? Which, by the way, we shouldn't be surprised should God show up and start doing stuff like that. We should not be surprised, even if we are Baptists. Get over it. Do it. Boy, I could get off on another one right there. I'm not going to. Do it by the works of the law. Does it happen by the works or by hearing with faith? Okay, today, class, if we all read 200 pages of the Bible, the Holy Spirit will do miracles this Sunday. 
You see what I'm saying? Can't be done. Is it good to read 200 pages? Well, maybe, yeah. That's another subject. I say, Paul says, here's the simplicity of the gospel. Here's the liberty of the Christian life. Walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You know what your big problem is? You've got to make up your mind you want Jesus as Lord in your life. And that the Holy Spirit can, in fact, lead you and enable you. You've got to make up your mind. Most of us choose not to. I want to run my own life. And aren't you doing a great job? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Isn't that cool? There's a principle. You all know that we talked about this one Sunday morning, and some of you brilliant um, engineer types knew the name. Bertoni's Law? What was Remember, in flight, you fly. You fly, John, right? What's the name of it? It's Bertoni or Berloni or Baloney or something like that. Anyway, there's a principle called lift. When You, you got it? No, you can't change the subject yet. I'm on a roll here. <laughs> so Bertoni, Berloni, Berlonis. Or, bologna. Bologna. Yeah, you're hearing baloney now, that's for sure. Anyway, flying. You know, you notice, you, you do notice the, the law of gravity seems to be pretty much intact most of the time. And yet, mankind has invented machinery that will lift people off the ground and transport them intercontinental. Next year, we're going to Kenya. Can you imagine? How does that happen? Because a higher principle, the principle of lift, overrules the lower principle of gravity. It's the same thing in your spirit. Do it on your own. You're not going to fly. You ever see the Magnificent Men in their flying machines? That old Red Skelton was in that, and he's, he's got feathers, put them all, and he jumps off a cliff. Well, you know what happened? Poom. Gravity won. But enough speed and lift, and up we go. Big difference. The principle of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the... Will you be perfect? Not in this life, friend. But when you fall down and get dirty, get up, brush it off and say, sorry, Holy Spirit, I just missed it. And he forgives us, right? And we move on in confidence. We who are true children of God that are constantly being beat up in our inner thoughts. There's a freedom that God wants for you. He really does. Okay. So. Having begun by the Spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? No. Spiritual breathing, the principle of lift, will guarantee not only that I can walk in victory, but can I explain one other thing? If I don't walk in the Spirit, my spiritual growth will be stunted, which is why people have accepted Christ 20 years ago and are still two-year-old babies in their spiritual growth. I didn't get my way. Really? Couldn't we be a little further along after 20 years of reading the Bible and doing the daily bread and going to church and everything else? Shouldn't you be a little bit further along, maybe? What do you think? Am I being obnoxious? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. 
Let's move on. So, there has to be some clarity about this. So that brings us to the third point and the thing that I was nervous about preaching, but we have the time to at least touch it. Liberation from death-dealing legalism. I had a friend in ministry. I worked alongside of him, Brother Norm Moran. I think he's still with us. He's, he's getting up there. But he made this statement that I loved. If Satan can't divert you away from the truth, he'll try to pervert you with the truth. Isn't that worth writing down? It really is. If Satan can't divert you away from the truth, he'll try to pervert you with the truth. He'll take some scripture, some truth, some principle, and make a law that will kill you, if possible. That's why the scripture in this section said, don't pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. People add rules, and they're not even walking in the spirit. Their spirits aren't pure. I can't tell you how many times over 45 years of ministry, I've had people come to me and say, oh, just let me lead this small group. I just want to teach people about the Father, love of God. And, blah, blah, blah. and I look right through them, and I see the adultery and the corruption and the plans that they have to harm. And God, by his mercy, has protected us. Many, many times because their hearts are evil, even though they're claiming to be seeking God. Listen to this verse that follows this one in Titus. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now, what that's talking about is those from the Jewish background who came into the church were trying to get the Gentiles to go back and start keeping some of the dietary laws and everything else for the, for the Gentiles. And that was not the gospel. The gospel freed us from that. And what he was trying to communicate is even their motives are corrupt. You don't even realize. They're not primarily wanting to please God with all their heart. They're wanting to be leaders. They're wanting to rule. They're wanting to control. They're wanting, in some cases, to get um, filthy lucre, as the old language was, you know, make money off it. And that was even referenced in the text that we've looked at. So there are two ways that we get in trouble. And so I coined a word years ago called pendulumitis. You can steal it. It's free. No copyrights, no anything. Pendulumitis, you know, we swing from this extreme to that extreme. I don't know any better way to talk about that than the way children are raised in our culture. I think over the last 30 to 40 years, we went from, you know, hardcore wham. You got in trouble at school, when you get home, you're going to be in trouble again. To way over here, you got in trouble in school, I'm going to kill the teacher. The, pa the, the parent's going to kill the teacher. And then we come way over here and we've got helicopter parents. Remember helicopter? Hovering. Anybody read, uh, what's the one, the zits in the paper, zits? That mother is a helicopter parent. Just reading that comic gives me heartburn. It's like, somebody sedate this woman. You know, she's helicoptering. And now we've shifted back again. And we don't shift into health. We always shift past. The pendulum swings over here. Now kids are abandoned. Figure it out on your own. Figure it out. Where's mom and dad? They're busy. Figure it out. They'll figure it out, all right, wrongly, and they are. That's pendulumitis. 
And the same thing happens in the spiritual world. Same thing happens. We go from one extreme that's erroneous to another extreme that's erroneous. So I wanted to unpack a little bit. What we need to find is, you'll remember this guy. I think I have a picture up here, don't I? I There he is. Remember him? Forget Ralph Macchio. I used to live near him on Long Island, but I never met him. I was very mad. I didn't get over it. But the guy behind him, who's he? Mr. Miyagi and Mr. Miyagi. Oh, Daniel Sutton. Oh, Daniel Sutton, you need balance. You need good balance. Remember him? Good balance. Yeah, take him down. Everybody wants to go watch the movie now. They don't want to listen to the rest of my sermon. Thank you. Balance. Christians need to find the balance between apostasy on one side and straining at gnats on the other side. Now, Christians would know who've read the Bible. You know what I mean by that. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you Pharisees, you strain at gnats. You get a little gnat in the, oh, we got this gnat out of our stuff that we're going to tithe. But over here, you eat a whole camel. We have to find the balance. If we're walking in the spirit, we learn to avoid apostasy, but not strain at gnats. Get all hung up with legalism that kills us. So let me compare the two things, if I may. Libertinism, or what, what I would call, our, our Bible verse here talks about licentiousness. Let me read the text. I'm going to open up a text out of the book of Jude, uh, parallel licentiousness is the apostasy side. It's the wrong side. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed who were for long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into what? Now that word simply means anything goes. Anything goes. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Don't put the next one up. Hold it for just a second. Thank you, Ryan. He's not feeling good. He's, he's being a trooper today. Certain persons have crept in who turned the grace of God into licentiousness. Anything goes. Can you see how you would do that? Paul said it. Some people are saying, let's continue to sin so that grace may abound. The more we sin, the more God pours grace out on us. Isn't he being glorified in that? No, he's not being glorified in it, which is why the end of my opening text says we should be zealous for good deeds. He redeemed people who live a good life, not perfect, not perfect. Nobody has to be perfect. Aren't you glad? Some of us, I mean, we were raised with that. Anybody raised with some of that? Like, man, if you don't walk on water, I'm going to choke you. And so, and we're still trying to be perfect. You know, we're giving ourselves ulcers. There's liberty. Isn't that cool? Liberation. I don't have to live like that. Sorry, I got off on how good God is, right? How dare I? The grace of God turned into licentiousness. So people were actually teaching. I remember hearing one guy. This guy used to bug me. And he had a whole following on TV. A whole following. He'd preach, have his Bible open, smoking a cigar. That's not sin. It's just funny, right? But anyway, how do you? It might have been sin, may not be sin. Depends. Oh, oh, we're gonna get there. Now I'm really messing with you. Oh boy, what kind of a Baptist is this guy? 
He'd smoke a cigar. I actually heard him say, you know, some of you deacons out here, you're so uptight with your, your rules. You know, you need to go out and have an affair. So you can understand the grace of God. That's what he actually said on television. I heard him. I was like, boy, I wish I could climb through the TV set and choke this guy, you know. That is what it's talking about. God has an opinion about that man. It's right there on the screen. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. If he's rescued us from sin, the idea is that he's rescued us from sin. Not just the penalty. Yes, I've been liberated from Auschwitz. Yes, I'm free to get to heaven. Thanks be to God. But I'm liberated in the here and now. So if I know I've got bad stuff in my life, I want to see God taking it out of my life. The next ver- th- This is a translation of this last line here, 1-4. They pervert the grace. This is from the New Jerusalem Bible. Once in a while, another version actually says it's better than the NASV, which is the holy ordained version, by the way. (laughs) But sometimes somebody else gets it better. This one he did. They pervert the grace of God. Good word. They pervert the grace of our God to debauchery. Sinful, raunchy, sensual, totally out of control. And deny all religion, meaning true faith. Rejecting, look at the word, rejecting. The first one said denying. That sounds like, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. They're not saying they don't believe in Jesus. They're saying Jesus says you can do all this. That's what they're saying. They pervert the grace of God, deny all religion, rejecting our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let me unpack that word rejecting for you, if I may. It basically means to reject to say no, to ignore, to disdain, to disregard. So we're claiming the name of Jesus, but, oh, he says stop doing this. What does he know? Sounds like Christians sometimes. What does he know? Remember one time speaking of, I know I dabbled a little bit earlier talking about child rearing. I get very um, intense about things like that. And I was counseling a young person in a church and saying, here's what God clearly says. Here's what you ought to do. And the parents who were in the church said, you don't have to listen to him. Well, you don't have to listen to me. I'm just a guy walking around, kind of a dopey guy. You know, what do I know? But when the Bible says it, you're disregarding our Lord Jesus Christ. You're disdaining him. What he says is right and wrong. You go, I know better. You just follow what I say, not what Jesus says. And it's all over the church, isn't it? It's everywhere. All the rules are changing. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. Things are upside down. People are confused. Things that are obvious scientifically, rationally, and spiritually We're disregarding, disdaining, rejecting. So what they're saying there is they're saying no to their master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They're saying no. But here's what the Bible says. The grace of God has appeared. This is out of Titus. We had read this in the weeks previously. Bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Deny ungodly, same word, say no, turn away from that. And here's how it's put in um, the NIV. 
it teaches us to say no. Just say no. Remember my sermon, just say no, that's it, right there, to ungodliness and worldly passions. So one side is licentiousness. That's error. That's the apostasy side. We can swing the pendulum too far and make too many rules for Christians that bind us up and kill us spiritually. We're not learning to rely on the Spirit. We're not growing up mature to hear the voice of the Spirit, to discern good and evil for ourselves. We just keep all the rules so we all fit in. See, if you go, you can take that one down. Thank you, bro. Let me give an example. Sometimes Christians in their enthusiasm uh, make rules that aren't balanced. They're straining at gnats. A man that I have a lot of respect for who did a lot of, lot of good and uh, just drove through that area a few weeks ago up in Utica, Rome, northern set, setting of uh, New York State, named Charles Finney, preached through that area and saw revivals happen all over the place, right? Charles Finney made it absolutely clear that if a person wasn't filled with the Spirit all the time, he was lost. But one of the funnest rules he came up with is coffee is sin. You're in trouble. I have a person confessing they need to get saved again right here. Uh, yeah, I mean, coffee? I mean, that's, that sounds crazy to me. It's that... Let me give you another illustration. I remember when I became a new disciple, I went back to my home church, which was First Baptist in Flushing, which is a sister church, by the way. It's a great place to be discipled and to grow. And we used to look with, um, look askew, a little bit concerned about those Presbyterians. <laughs> you know, are they really in, down the road from our, our Baptist church was a Presbyterian church where C.I. Schofield had actually preached, for those of you who know that. So there's no question they were evangelicals. And by the way, back in the 30s and 40s, it was the Presbyterian evangelicals who were defending the faith. They were on the front end. So one of the big names, I, I, want, I want to be precise, so I'm not going to give a name because I may get the wrong guy. I'm pretty sure it might have been Machen, but I'm not sure. He wondered how Baptists could be saved because they don't use real wine in their communion service. You get the drift. What happens is we start developing rules and we say our rules set the stage for everybody. The Bible is clear. Whatever the Bible says is non-negotiable. Let me be clear about that. That's where we mess up. When people say, well, that's just your opinion. No, that's not my opinion. Here's chapter and verse then it's not my opinion. But when I have an opinion about something from my life, I can't impose it on everybody else. One of our brothers asked me that question while we were in this. He said, look, I have a conviction about, I know, I know the scripture talks about eating and drinking and that Christians have liberty to drink. If you go to Senegal, Africa, the Muslims refer to the evangelical Christians as those who drink. Because they're not allowed to, and Christians can't. And they may have wine in, in the Catholic Church, and the evangelicals have no rule about it, so they're those who drink. You see how what we do, as John Ortberg calls it, boundary marker Christianity. We start establishing our own personal boundary markers that have nothing to do with whether those people are walking in the Spirit and glorifying Jesus or not. 
The real issue is, are they becoming conformed to the nature of Jesus? Are they bearing fruit? Are good things happening in their lives? Then stop judging their gnats. We think we know everything, and we don't. And we can't. So there's all kinds of misguidance that we get into here and there. You know, Mr. Finney got off a little bit. Sometimes people believe in perfectionism in the church. Some people make certain spiritual gifts the standard for whether you're filled with the Spirit or not. That's unbiblical as well. You can't know that for sure. Uh, People who think, you know, there's a certain amount of prayer and Bible study that has to be done to be truly a Spirit-filled person and all that. You can't possibly know it. The problem where we become cult-like in our behavior is when we claim our way is the way. There's a difference between cultic thinking and a sect of Christianity. If you were to join the uh, Mennonites or the Amish community, then, ladies, you wear a prayer cap. And, gentlemen, you dress very plain. You look plain, book. Very plain. Only a few people will get that one. Right? You dress plain. Is that the rule for all Christians? The Amish would not say that. That's the rule for their community. Any community can pick how they want to play. If you guys want to install prayer shawls or prayer hats for women at Harmony Baptist Church, then you go right ahead. I won't stay here, but you go right ahead and do that. Oh, man, now I'm making trouble. I got questions from the back row, not the front row, the back row. Steve. Yes, that was the reason for that is then we're not showing off. And let me be clear, it comes from a passage of scripture that is open to interpretation because it's affected by culture. Back then, coming to church, and there are cultures where this happens, we come to church, it's showtime. Anybody know what I mean? It's showtime. Look what Mrs. McGillicuddy's wearing today. Look at Look at that hat. Look at those. Look at that bling. Look at, look at, whoa, man. Wow, that dress is hot. Wow. Whatever it is. And the point is, Paul rebuked that and said, would you stop doing that and work on your inner person? That's what matters. But it doesn't mean it's wrong, ladies, if you wear nice bling. And that you look nice. I think it's kind of nice that you look nice. You know what I mean? It's nice. Anyway, so. So somebody takes that and they say, we'll be humble by all looking exactly the same. That is one way to solve the problem. But guess what? It doesn't solve the problem in the heart. It doesn't change it. you got all these outward rules, and it doesn't change what's in your heart. I don't know if I wanted to use this as an illustration, but maybe I will. I'm going to get us out of here pretty quick. Here's... here's um, I think I, I used this one time, so let me just share this quick. I was down at a, at a, um, a photography electronic store in the city that was run by a certain religious group. I went in, and the rules are very precise what you have to do. You know, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this. You have to dress this way and dress that way. Women have to literally dress a certain way so that no other man will look at them or lust after them. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, nice. I'm in this culture that's, that's very tight, based ultimately way back on Bible. 
and I'm watching the guy behind the counter who's obviously a practitioner of this form of religion, and he's looking at this lovely female customer, and he is undressing her from head to toe, toe to head. I'm watching it, and it's like oozing out of him. Your rules don't work. Your rules don't work. You need to rely on the Spirit for that lift principle to take you above your filth. Your rules aren't going to work. doesn't. So here's what the Scripture says. Let me close with Romans 14, 4 through 5. Do not let what is good for you be spoken of as evil. Whoops, back, back up one. I think, did I say that? Before? I did. I, you, got the right, you got the right verse, pal. You, you had the right verse, but I'm going to plow through. Here we go. The kingdom of God. We used to have this on our wall at our church at, up, up north. The kingdom of God is not what? Eating and drinking or rules about eating and drinking. By the way, you can make a law out of anything. We got some people going to FPU. You watch. It'll be a new cult. Everybody's got to do their finances by FPU rules if you're going to come to our church. No, not on my watch, friends. You get what I'm saying? We can make a lot of anything. Because it worked for me. I'm so glad it worked for you. That doesn't mean God's telling me to do it. That applies to Christian education, for example, where we can have very haughty attitudes. It's not about that. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to who? What matters? That's what matters. I'm acceptable to God and approved by men who know better. Not the people who judge you, the people who know God in the same way understand we are free. We've been liberated from man's law to follow God's law by the Spirit. Let me look at the last one now. Thank you. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Boy, that one slaps me in the face too many times because I kind of have a responsibility to help saints move forward in their Christian life. So once in a while I find myself getting a little bit of an attitude like, why are they so stuck? Not, not, not at Harmony, by the way. This is past, this is past story. His own master, he stands or falls before his master. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards a day, a drink, a food, a practice, an FPU class more important than another. Another thinks they're all the same. Let each one, man or woman, every disciple be fully convinced in their own mind. Here's what the point is. We're not going to look at any more verses, but the scripture says, if what you're doing, you don't have peace in the spirit, you're sinning. Whatever is not of faith is sin. That's how you know. That's why the scripture talks about the peace that surpasses comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the normal Christian life. I normally do these things. I go around my business and all of a sudden I feel this check. For some reason, God doesn't want me. Okay, I'm listening, Lord. Oh, oh, can I do that? I know all of my relatives in their church. They wouldn't countenance going to that concert, Tim Strait. They wouldn't countenance that concert, by golly. But my spirit feels freedom. In fact, I'm actually excited about it. I'm confessing right now. We're going we're to get fired. Anyway, 
Let everyone be convinced in their own mind. It doesn't mean you're the standard. It means the Holy Spirit is the standard, and you need to be in submission to him. Is that clear? See, there's a whole freedom for believers we're not enjoying as much as we should. Let's stand together and be dismissed. King Jesus, we bless you today. Thank you for liberating us from Auschwitz, a spiritual Auschwitz that was certain death and suffering. You rescued us from the penalty. You've given us power, the principle of lift over sin in our own life and the opposition of the enemy. Thank you for that liberation. And thank you for the liberty to avoid apostasy and shameful behavior that dishonors you, as well as nitpicking legalism that shrivels up our spirit and makes us self-righteous judges of everybody else because we're so right. Deliver us, Holy Spirit. We've been praying. I hope we haven't forgotten to pray. We need a visitation from you to walk in your power and victory. Help us today. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Enjoy the rest of your day. God bless you.